And so we're going to talk about today how to be bite-proof. Because let's just face it, we all get bit, life happens, relationships happen. And uh, so we're going to talk about today uh, how do you deal with um, close talkers that uh, have bad breath or angry bosses or uh, a business partner that cheats or uh, fill in the blank. You know who it is that sucks the life out of you. But here's what I want to remind you just by way of review is as you're thinking about people that suck the life out of you, somewhere, somebody is thinking about you. Oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> so the big, the big idea in this whole series has been how does God want us to handle these people? Because loving God is also loving people. Isn't that right? <clears throat> so we start by putting the magnifying glass down and picking up a mirror. And like Jesus said, dealing with the plank that's in our own eye before we start messing with the speck in somebody else's eye, right? Right? Man, you are quiet today. What is going on? Am I in the right church? I did not say Presbyterian out on the sign, I'm sure, when I walked in. But anyway, I'm just kidding. I always pick on the Presbyterians because they're quiet. But um, we all bite, and we don't always mean to, but sometimes we do, right? Look at your neighbor and say, don't bite me. Last week, we talked about how that pride always has a better idea than God. That's what makes it pride, right? And if you, if you missed that last week, you can go back on our archive, and you can see how do you drive the stake through the heart of pride in your life, because that will definitely suck the life out of you. So... Uh, one key is having healthy boundaries. We have to have healthy boundaries in our life if we're going to, um, if we're going to stay healthy. We, you know, we talk about physical fitness and going to the gym and eating right. But having a mental fitness and mental health is very important. And one of the keys to mental health are proper boundaries in our life. Everybody say boundaries, which is a great book, by the way, if you haven't read it. Um, Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, amazing book. I've been listening to so much stuff by them the last couple of weeks on YouTube. So good. If you uh, need to go on a YouTube bench, those guys have some great stuff. So the key to healthy boundaries is knowing what's me and what's not me. Um, in other words, what's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility? Does that make sense? Uh, for example, uh, the 34-year-old son who was still living at home, he had dropped out of school, he had developed a drug problem, and so his parents took him to a counselor, but the kid didn't think he had a problem. I say kid, 34 years old is not a kid, but he didn't think he had a problem. I mean, that was a problem. But the counselor agreed with the 34-year-old. He told, he told the parents, yeah, your son doesn't have a problem. They're like, what are you talking about? He's dropped out of school. He's 34 years old. He still lives in our basement. He has a drug problem. They said, yeah, he doesn't have a problem. Um, you have a problem. <laughs> and the reason he doesn't have a problem is because you have taken ownership of all of his problems. And then the counselor said something very profound. Would you like for me to help you help your son have a problem. See, you got to know what's your responsibility and what's not your responsibility. You got to know what's your problem and what's not your problem. You know what codependence is, right? We talked about this last week. A codependent person is when, when they're dying, somebody else's life flashes before their eyes because they don't have one. So don't be codependent. And that's what these parents were doing. They were, being, they were enabling the bad behavior of their son that they loved. And I'm sure their heart was good, but their 
their tact or their strategy was not helping, it was hurting. So if you're going to not let people suck the life out of you, you've got to know what's your responsibility and know what is not your responsibility. Because you and I, let's face it, we are a limited resource. So here's a great revelation. There is a God, and you're not him. So not every need is your problem. Now, there's some things that you're called to address, and you're, some problems you're called to solve, and some people you're called to love and serve, and that sort of thing. But you're a limited resource, but so you're, not every problem is your problem. Isn't that good news? Oh, I just helped somebody right there. Like, oh, man, that was worth coming to church for. Not every problem is my problem. And you need to know that. So at the end of the day, God is the only one that can help everybody. So you got to let him be God. Everybody say, I'm not him. We're a lim- I'm a limited resource. You're a limited. Even our church, we are, our, our calling is to, we're, 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 try- we're here to make it hard to go to hell for Mobile, right? That's what, why we're here. We're, we exist for the sole purpose of our non-members, those that are not here yet. But even every problem in the city is not our problem. There are some, uh, people come to me all the time, oh, pastor, it'd be great. What if we did this? Like, we're not called to do that. Why? It's great. Yes, it is great. But that's not what we're called to do because we can't do everything. And and by the way, we do, as a church, what we go at the pace of the people. So if you're called to do it, we're called to do it. Or if God sent you, then, then we have the resource to solve that problem. But a lot of times what people go is, Pastor, I have this great idea that you need to do. (laughs) Or here's something else for the staff to do. No, that's not how it works. This is a body, and we do what the body is able to do, and and that's not everything. So we have to limit our scope. We do a few things, and we try to do those few things really well. So we don't do everything, but we do a few things, and we do those things well. You can't do everything, but you got to know what you are supposed to do and what you can or what you're called to do, and you do those things well, right? Thank you for those two amens. I take all the help I can get today. So uh, you got to let God be God and know that you, whoo, let there be light. You are a limited resource and so am I, but God's not. So we have to keep going to him to get filled and to get refilled. All right. So before we go any further, let me just talk for a minute about hurt versus harm which again is a topic that they talk about in the Boundaries book. If you haven't read that, it's really good stuff. But hurt versus harm in relationships, uh, and and if you're going to live a normal, healthy life, you need relationships. But hurt happens in relationships. It just does. It's just part of life. And and sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's not intentional, but it's just part of life. Everybody say hurt happens. So we all hurt in relationships. But harm is something totally different. Harm is not acceptable. You, you can work through hurt, but you don't have to stick around for harm. You know the difference? I mean, we're going to hurt each other's feelings. You might not mean to, or sometimes you do mean to. You're just in a bad mood, and then later you go back and say, I'm so sorry. But you, you hurt people. But harm is where there's abuse happening. Where there's, I, I, was just, I just helped somebody walk through an unfortunate situation, somebody who's close to us in our life. And uh, this person was, has been married for 
maybe a year or so, and they had kind of waited a little later in life to get married, and so this was a big deal. And then this person, their, their new spouse just abandoned the relationship. Before they abandoned the relationship, they were very abusive verbally and psychologically, and then they abandoned the relationship and said, you know, I want out of this, I, I want a divorce. And this person that we pastor and lead came to us and said, man, I know divorce isn't God's will, and, and this is awful, this is not what, what I had prayed for and hoped for, and, and, and we agreed. But we said, listen, uh, divorce is never good, but sometimes it's better than sticking around and getting beat up. Right? Like years, years and years and years and years ago, my, my aunt had an abusive husband, and he'd, he'd get drunk, and he'd beat her up. And she told him one morning, she goes, look, if, if, you, if that ever happens again, it'll be the last time. And so one night, he came home drunk, decided he wanted to beat on her, but she was waiting for him behind the door with, a, uh, with a, one of the iron skillets. <laughs> and when he woke up the next morning... Her and everything in the house was, was an empty house. It was, she took everything in the night and left and was gone, yeah. Never saw him again. Now, I'm not advocating that you get your iron skillet out. <laughs> but uh, that was a different day, a different time. But you don't have to stick around to keep get, being a punching bag, verbally or physically or otherwise. So we advised this beautiful young woman, listen, this man has um, he's, he's abused you. He's belittled you. He's psychologically um, abused you, and he's abandoned the relationship, both physically and emotionally. And the Bible says, um, if, if your unbelieving spouse is pleased to dwell with you, then let them. But if they're not pleased to dwell with you, then they don't need to dwell with you. That's in the Bible, in the New Testament. So don't go away from here and say, yeah, over that church, they are coaching people to get divorced. No, we're coaching people to love themselves and not to be victims. Because if you get, if you get uh, abused, you're a victim. But if you keep showing up for it, then you're a volunteer. So stop. Love yourself enough to get away from the vampire. You listening? So... But here's what I want to talk about today is how do you become bite-proof? Because bites happen. Uh, and you got to learn to be like Taylor Swift and shake it off, right? So how do you do that? How do you become bite-proof? Uh, not that life won't bite, but you can become immune to the bites. And that's by investing in yourself. If you're taking notes, write that down. you got to invest in yourself. Otherwise, here's what happens. You create this overdraft situation in your soul, and you start giving out more than you have. And I don't know about your bank, but our bank charges you a fee when you like spend money that you don't have, which is really anti-productive, isn't it? It's like, you know, I don't have any money. Why are you charging me another 20 bucks? But anyway... <laughs> But that's what happens, and that's what life does too. You have this overdraft in your soul because you're giving out of a deficit. So what you have to learn to invest in yourself first. You love your neighbor how? As you love who? Yourself. Everybody say, I love me. So otherwise, we don't want to create this, this uh, uh, overdraft situation. So to become bite-proof, you have to invest in your own soul. Look at your neighbor and say... Love yourself. How do you do that? Well, you got to spend time 
getting doses of God's grace in your life every day. So God's grace will help you finish your race. Without God's grace, you might be a disgrace. But with his grace, you can finish your course with joy. Not just finish, but, but do it with joy. We want to do it with joy, right? So you, every, not, I'll say every day because I'm not perfect, but almost every day I have a devotion where I spend time with God's word and God's presence. I read the Bible and I take notes. I have a journal and I use the soap method. How many know showers are more effective when you use soap? <laughs> soap is an acronym and it stands for Scripture, S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So I write down the scripture, I write it out, the one that, I might read a whole chapter, but the one that jumps out at me, I write that one down, because God wants to say something to me from that verse, and then I, what observation, what do I see in that verse, and then application. Application is how am I going to apply what God is speaking to my life, not how I wish my church would apply it to their life, or how I wish my wife would apply this to her life. No, this is not a time for me to be a preacher and get a sermon for somebody else. This is a time for me to be a Christian and apply God's Word to my life. So how am I going to apply God's Word to my life? I'm going to practice what I preach. S-O-A-P. Then I'm going to pray. I'm going to take God's Word, and I'm going to pray through what God has spoken to me that day. And I, and I journal that on a regular basis. Why? I'm investing in my own soul because what does it do? It puts a deposit of God's grace on and in my life so that I can continue to run my race. And how do you win your race in the kingdom? It's not by coming in first. It's just by finishing. I'm going to finish my course with joy. So you need daily deposits of God's grace so that you can finish your race. A steady diet of the bread of life, God's word in your life. In other words, you got to prioritize God's presence in your life. you got to make God's presence a priority, just like you're here today, you're in church, you could have been somewhere else, but you made this a priority. Why? Because you're loving yourself. And what are you doing? You're, you're put, you have to create the habit of putting God's word first place in your life. If you'll put God's word first place in your life, whenever circumstances arise, the first thing you'll say is, well, what does God's word say? Not, oh, well, how you doing? Well, I guess under the circumstances, I'm doing all right. Well, what are you doing under there? Don't get under the circumstances. Get on top of them. How? By putting God's word first place in your life. If you don't know what God's word says then you're not going to be able to do what it says, and you're not going to be able to walk in the victory that God's made available to us through Christ Jesus. I'm saying all that to say, you got to invest in yourself if you're going to be able to give out to anybody else. Otherwise, you create this deficit in your soul. Now, turn to Matthew 14. I want to show you a pattern in Jesus' life. Before the miracle, you're going to see a miracle where he fed the multitude. But before the miracle, you're going to see where he withdrew to be alone with his father. Now, how many know there's a difference between just being alone and being alone with your father? Right? Sometimes it's not good for us to be alone with our own thoughts. Right? Because sometimes, you ready for this? Your thoughts are squirrely. Mine are too. That's why we have to be alone with the Father so he can help us sort out our thoughts. We put our own thoughts through the filter of God's word. So Jesus was alone with his Father. Why? And if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, 
Write this down because this is kind of the sermon in a sentence today. You ready? We, you have to have things that irrigate your life to offset the things that irritate your life. That's good, isn't it? You got to have things that irrigate your life to offset the things that irritate your life. Which is why you always hear me say, join a small group. You say, well, that irritates me. No, no, no. That might be just because you have a deficit in your soul. You need to, you, we need to be around life-giving people that invest in us and that love us enough to tell us the truth and that will put into us, pray for us, have our back. And that's a big part. And by the way, if you've never been through our freedom, one of our freedom small groups, that is your next step in the kingdom of God. You don't even have to pray about it. That's your next step. When we start those back up in the beginning of February, sign up for a freedom group. Uh, Because what I noticed was we had all these people joining our church, which is great. And then they'd go through our next steps class and they'd sign up to serve on a team. And then they'd cause problems. Like, why do we have all this drama? Save the drama for your mama. What is going on? And then I realized that people are dragging their yesterdays into their todays, and, and that's why they have all this baggage. So we've got to, we had to come up with a system of helping people get past their past so they can embrace their God-given future without bringing all the baggage of yesterday into their tomorrow. So if you say, well, I've been in the way for 30 years. I don't need this freedom stuff you talk about. Well, look, we, we're ready for you to get out of the way so that you can start uh, being uh, a positive positive uh, contribution instead of a deficit and start and, and stop being a vampire and sucking the life ever, out of everybody and causing drama. So get some freedom in your life so that you can take some freedom to other people. All right, that's going to get off my soapbox now. Are you in Matthew 14? Matthew 14, verse 12. Then John the Baptist's disciples came and took away John the Baptist's body and buried it. He was, he was martyred and they went and told Jesus. So Jesus heard it and he departed from there by boat. So when Jesus heard bad news, <clears throat> he went on a cruise. <laughs> so if you're taking those out, you can tweet that too. When you hear bad news, go on a cruise because it's in the Bible. So anyway, if that's, I hope that bears witness with somebody's spirit. So he departed from there by a boat, and he went to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he, he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Now, notice, he heard bad news, he went on a cruise, he had some time alone, and then, I don't know how long his time alone was, but then the multitude showed back up. But when he went out to greet the multitudes, he was full of compassion, and he healed their sick. But why was he able to be moved with compassion and heal their sick? Because he had had some time alone with his father to put some stuff back in himself. To, to reinvest in himself. So he went and he had time with his father. And then because he had time with his father, he had compassion for others. Let's keep reading here. He had compassion. He healed their sick. Verse 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him and saying, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. I love that phrase. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Now notice that they said here. Now, and in some other place, they must have had a bank account or other, other resources. But they said, here we only have a limited supply. 
And notice what Jesus, his response was, oh, because. You might think, well, I thought they were all poor and they lived paycheck to paycheck. They were, no. Remember, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he said to them, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they brought in a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of fish. They had to call their partners in another boat. Both boats started sinking because there were so many fish. And they were like, oh, my, who are you? And he said, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they left everything there on the beach with Zebedee, who was their business partner, John, James and John's father was Zebedee. They were in a fishing business, and, and Peter, and they left everything with Zebedee, and they went and followed Jesus, but how many of Zebedee, he took all those fish to the market and sold them, and he split all the profits up and put it in everybody's account, and they had enough to live on for the next three and a half years while they followed Jesus around. How many of you would like one transaction that would cover you for the next three and a half years in your business? Anybody? Well, it's in the Bible. You have a precedent to believe for it. So they said, here, we only have a limited supply. We found this little boy with five loaves and two fish that he had bought at Captain D's, we suppose. And so that's all we have. And then Jesus said, bring them here to me. They said, here, we only have a limited supply. He goes, well, bring it here to me. So when you have a limited supply, what should you do with it? Bring it to Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, I knew it. Before we got out of here, he was going to talk about money. <laughs> Listen, this is not, this is, this is fish and loaves, okay? So this, when you are running short of time, you bring it to Jesus. Think, well, I don't have time to, a couple of weeks ago, I told my wife, I said, hey, let's grab hands and pray. She goes, I don't have time. I said, we don't have time not to pray. And because I'm the boss, <laughs> I tell her all the time, Honey, thank you for letting me wear the pants. I appreciate it. I said, because I'm the boss, we prayed together for like three minutes. But guess what? Those three minutes changed the trajectory of our life at that time. And so now it's a little habit we have. Hey, baby, let's pray. And she's like, yeah, yeah. We are so busy, we should start off with prayer. We don't have time out to pray. So whether you're short on time, short on talent, or short on treasure, you bring it to Jesus. He said, bring it here to me. And when they brought their limited supply to Jesus, let's see what happened. He said, bring it here to me. Then he commanded the multitude, verse 19, to sit down on the grass. Now notice this. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. This makes a lot of religious people angry. Can you believe that preacher took that little boy's lunch? He just took it. But listen, the reason Jesus takes is because of what his plan is. His plan, this is, this is his pattern. Notice, he took it. And then he looked up to heaven. And then he blessed it and broke it. And he gave it back to him. That's what Jesus does. He takes, he took it, he looked, he blessed, he broke, and he gave it back to him. So here's the deal, guys. When you bring your limited resource to Jesus, your time, your treasure, your talent, when you give it to him, you know what he does? He takes it. And then he looks up to heaven. And then he blesses it, what you gave him. And then he breaks it. And that, sometimes that's a little painful. But then he always breaks what he takes. And then he, he gives it back to you. That's what's called... Pressed down, shaking together, running over. So he takes it, he looks to heaven, 
He blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it back to you. And then notice, notice what the disciples did. When he gave it back to the disciples, what did the disciples do? They then gave it to the multitudes. Before Jesus took it and blessed it and broke it, they, they, there wasn't enough to go around. But because they took their limited supply to Jesus and gave it to him, then there was enough to give to the multitudes. Let's keep going. So they all ate, and they were all filled, and they took up 12 basketfuls of fragments. How many of there's no waste in God's kingdom? God doesn't waste an experience. He doesn't, whether it's good or bad, he doesn't waste anything. He can use it. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children, so there was anywhere from 15,000, 20,000 people there. And immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. There he goes again. Here's his pattern. Now, when evening came, he was alone. But the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, and the wind was contrary. Now, the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, how did Jesus walk on the water? Well, first, he had withdrawn again by himself to pray. Now, there's going to be days when you need, metaphorically, to walk on the water. But it ain't going to happen unless you first spend some time with the Lord. You've got to invest in yourself. You've got to love yourself. So, disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come and walk on the water. So he said, come. Just one word. And Peter, when he had gotten down out of the boat, he walked on the water. Now, I know later it didn't go so well. He began to sink and all that. But no, just for a second, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he got his eyes off Jesus and on the circumstances. He was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Which, by the way, is a great prayer. I recommend it. Save me, Jesus. Help me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? In other words, you were doing great. You were walking on the water. What happened? Why did you doubt? And when he had gotten into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat, they came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out to all the surrounding region. And they brought to him all who were sick. Everybody say all. And they begged him that they might touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. So here's the pattern. Meditation, ministry, miracles. Meditation, ministry, miracles. There's always, let me put it to you a little differently. You've got to have time in solitude, then time with the multitude. Solitude comes before the multitude, and then there's solitude again. When you go to work, that's your multitude. When you come to church and you serve, that could be your multitude. But you have to have time of solitude where you're spending time letting God pour into you. Let me read a verse to you. One more verse. It's in. I'm going to read two more verses before we go. Romans 15 and verse 13. And this is in the New Living Translation. This is so good. Romans 15, 13, New Living Translation. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope. How many know he's the source, isn't he? I pray to God, the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. What happens when you trust in him? He fills you with what? Joy and peace. Then you will overflow 
with confident hope. Everybody say overflow. You'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Isn't that good? That was worth coming to church for right there, that verse. So good. So when your balance sheet is healthy, when the balance sheet of your soul is healthy, you can pour into others from your overflow. All right? I've got two cups up here. They both can dispense water, but notice, one is broken. It's, 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 uh, it's holy, but it's, it's because it's full of holes, it leaks. How many know that when you're broken, you can, you, can, you can get filled up, but what happens? You just leak out. Both of them are dispensing water, but this one, because of all the brokenness, is going to eventually be what? Empty. All right, so that's why you got to go to a freedom small group. All right, let, let me show you a better way. When you, when you have some wholeness in your life, what happens? He says, I'll make your cup, my cup runneth over. And, and you still dispense water, but now you're giving from your overflow, not from your brokenness. God wants to heal your brokenness and so that you're living out of this place of abundance and overflow, but you have got to let go to the Holy Ghost repair shop and let him fix what's broken. Guys, I, I, I get it. Bites happen. Puncture wounds happen. We are, are constantly, we're, Paul said it this way, we're pressed but not crushed. We're persecuted, not about, we're, we're struck down but we're not destroyed. Why? Because he said there's something in us that's greater than the stuff that's happening around us or happening to us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So it's not about the cup. It's about what's in the cup. But you gotta have you gotta have some uh, be strong in those broken places, and the only way you get strong in the broken places is by consistently going into solitude before you come out to the multitude. Because then you start living out of your overflow, and that's how you start living abundant life. You got in His presence. There's fullness of what joy. Where is it in His presence? But if you never go to his presence or get in his presence, you don't get to take advantage of what's available to you. So if you're going to not be a vampire and suck the life out of people, you got to get in God's presence and let him pour into you. And if you've got people that are vampires and they're sucking the life out of you, then you got to be full of so much life that it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not talking about sticking around for abuse. We've already talked about that. But just relationships happen, right? Stuff happens. Forrest Gump told us that. So when stuff happens, what do you do? You got to be so full of the love of God that you're bite-proof. That you live out of your overflow. Now, I saved the best for last. Here's my conclusion. I want you to listen. <clears throat> you don't hurt or cut down what you cherish. You don't disrespect, use, or abuse what you value and what you love. So you're not going to use or abuse your kids, your spouse, your friends, but you're not going to cut down, use or abuse yourself either because you love yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So start loving yourself. If we want to see the God kind of love, what it really looks like, and I know you do, because God's love, remember, God doesn't have any love. God is love. It's his nature. It's what he is. So if we want to see what the God kind of love really looks like, 
then we got to go to the scripture, 1 Corinthians. This is our last verse today. 1 Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter. And we're going to read verses 4 through 10, but we're going to read it out of the Passion Translation. I'm really excited about this translation. It's really, really got some good stuff. So 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read this last verse today, verses 4 through 10, out of the Passion Translation. Now, and the reason that we're going to read God's Word is because God's Word gives us revelation. And that means the ability to see things are revealed that we can see. Revelation. You got to get a revelation because the revelation turns into inspiration or motivation, and that's how you get to manifestation. Now, if you want to manifest anything, I assure you it's the love of God because the love of God is the nature of God. If you want God manifested in a relationship, in a circumstance, in your finances, in your physical health, then, then, then manifest the love of God because the love of God is the nature of God. One step out of love is a step back into darkness. One step out of love is a step back into the old life and out of the new life. So it happens to us all. So what do we do? We've got to self-correct or we've got to yield to the Holy Spirit and his correction. If you want God's direction, then listen for his correction. He'll go, hey, you shouldn't have said that. I, I said something the other day. Uh, oh, it was last, last week or so. I had a quick phone conversation with my, with my wife, um, and I was, a, I was a little short with her. She called me. I was in the middle of stuff. I was busy, and I was real short with her, a little terse. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I thought, you know what? Even though I'm frustrated, I'm not frustrated at her, but I just took it out on her. So when I got home that night, I said, hey, baby, I took her by the hands. I said, hey, I need to apologize to you because I spoke. I was really frustrated about something else earlier that was going on at work, and I was exasperated. And when you called, it was right in that very moment, and I took that frustration out on you, and I, and I shouldn't have. You didn't deserve that. I apologize. Would you forgive me? And she was like, oh, that's so sweet. Yes. And, but you know what? I had to, and, she, and you know what? I could have never apologized, and we would have been fine. But how many know that stuff builds up over time? If you don't clean out the filter over time, then all of a sudden what happens? Bleah! And somebody takes their gunny sack, and they shake it out. You've been treating me like this for years. And maybe you have. But you got to be sensitive to those little whispers of the Holy Spirit. Just, just, here's the thing. If you're a Christ follower, and I know you are, you cannot live in sin because the Holy Spirit, until you get it right, he, what's he doing? He's poking you. He's like, hey, 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 hey. You're like, huh, huh. And if you ignore it long enough, create problems for yourself. But if, you, if you're right with God and you have a misstep, and we all do it, he's going to let you know why he's your helper. He's not trying to, he's not trying to you know, bust your chops. He's trying to help you. And because I did that, it cleared the mechanism, so to speak, with my wife. And we had a lovely evening, and my, her respect level for me went up, and my heart was tender towards her because I, I, I didn't harden my heart and ignore what the Holy Spirit was trying to say to me. Because if you'll listen to the little whispers, if you'll listen to the subtleties of God, then you won't miss the suddenlies of God. If you'll pay attention to the little things, then the big stuff is easy. Are you listening? Now, I'm not just trying to hold myself up and say, hey, what a great guy I am, because there's been plenty of times that the Holy Spirit said, hey, you were a jerk to your wife, you need to apologize, and I didn't. But I'm trying to learn from my mistakes, right? You can learn from my mistakes as well. So I'm just encouraging you to yield to the nature of God. That's the love of God. And it'll manifest in your situation. And the ripple effects of it is life-changing, not just for you, but for everybody around you. 
So in conclusion, let's read this verse. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 10 in the Passion Translation. Now, if you can, use your imagination. Whenever I say love, put your name there and see how you're doing. This is like a litmus test. It says, love is large and incredibly patient. Everybody say, I'm living large. When you're living in love, you're living large. Love is large and incredibly patient. Incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to who? To all. What about the people that are jerks? What about the people that are irritating? What about, are we kind to them too? Yes. Love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else, even LSU. Love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. I love that. (laughs) Love never stops loving. Love never fails. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It's more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. It hasn't fallen silent yet, but one day it will, and love will still be there. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial, but when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. So you want God's nature, you want God to manifest in your life, then yield to his nature and let his nature manifest in and through your life. What is that? What's his nature? God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I love you, man. (laughs) Now turn to your other neighbor that you didn't like quite as much. Say, I love you too. (laughs) Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God, and he that loves not knows not God. Why? Because God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. How do we know you love God? Because you love me, and you love your neighbor, and you love yourself. And you know know what? The only thing that Scripture says will never fail is love. So when you don't know what to do, when you've come to the end of your rope, you've tried everything, I'm believing God, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm using my faith, I'm putting a good confession on, I'm doing all that stuff, nothing seems to be, what do I do? Love. Love never fails, never gives up, never becomes obsolete. So when you run out of things to do, love. And you've heard me say it jokingly, though it's true, because we know people go through tough times, people go through hell, and we are called to love the hell out of people, because that's what God did for us, isn't it? Love yourself, invest in yourself, irrigate, because things irritate, and if you're properly nourished in your soul, then you'll have enough overflow to where you can walk in love and be kind to all. And when you manifest the nature of God... In your life and in your situations, I'm telling you, God's going to show up and he's going to show out for you. He's going to do some, do some things for you that you can't do for yourself because love is working. Love is working. And love never fails. 
know that old lady song? I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Well, you can show that love because you know love. He's in you. I'll close with this. The Bible says in Romans 5, the love of God has been poured out or shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit that was given to you. So you might think, I don't know, man, I'm having a hard time walking in love uh, uh, with my mother-in-law or with my in-laws or my outlaws or or my neighbor whose dog barks all night. No, God's love is in there. It's in you. You just got to yield to it, right? Just got to yield to it. Amen. Let me pray for you. Would you bow your heads today? If you're watching us online or if you're over in the family venue, we want to invite you as well as everyone in the sanctuary today. If you've never let the love of God transform your life, we want to invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life today. We never like to close our services without giving folks the opportunity to pray the prayer of salvation. It's not the magic words or anything that changes your life, but when you mean it from your heart, God comes and he begins to renovate your life. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you say, Pastor, please include me in that prayer. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you walk forward. But if you say, please include me in the prayer of salvation today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life today. Would you just raise your hand? Let me see who I'm praying for today. Say, please include me in that prayer, Pastor. I want to make Jesus the Lord. I want the love of God shed abroad in my heart. If you're watching us online today and you want to pray this prayer, let's all say it together right now. Come on, pray it together, house. Let's all say it. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I'm calling on Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for my sins. But on the third day, God raised you from the dead. And I say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Save me now. I give my life to you. And I believe... You're filling me with your spirit, giving me power to live this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we welcome you to the family of God. We celebrate with you today.